Would you turn in your Bibles to Luke, the 14th chapter? Luke, the 14th chapter. Last week, we were looking at Brother Zacchaeus, who got born again, turned his life over to God. Someone that people often overlooked, not just because he was short. But we're going to take a look at Luke, chapter 14 here today. And have yourself ask this question, am I a self-exalted person? Am I a person... Am I I a self-exalted person who thinks they are humble? Remember we started this whole series off looking at people who think that they are faithful, but God says faithfulness is actually very rare. And so most people who think they are faithful in God's eyes aren't faithful. So we've been setting out to look at what does God see as faithful? And we've been spending a number of weeks on that. But one of the things about selfishness when that works into our life is we become faithful to our own self, faithful to what we want and not faithful to God. That's what we saw in Luke chapter 19 last week. But here in chapter 14, we're going to take a look at a story that we have taken a look at before, but not as often as I sometimes think. Setting up for this, there's a context in Luke chapter 13. How many are doing your daily daily reading of the Word of God? All right, a couple of you. Appreciate that. Both of those folks that are, that are doing that. If you were doing your daily reading, the last chapter you would have read is Luke chapter 13, which is our setting for this chapter. Tomorrow, you will reach Luke chapter 14, the chapter we're getting into. Now, if you think, well, I've already read it here, sitting through service, that would be true, <laughs> but read it again. Spend some time and take the, the things that God shows you and, and see it in a new light. But in Luke chapter 13 we're going to see that there was a ruler of the synagogue who, when Jesus was healing on the Sabbath, got so fed up with it, he started yelling at the people. Stop bringing the sick people here on the Sabbath. Bring them on the other days. I remember, I think it was Keith Moore who said one time, that uh, how many how many healing services do you think they had in this synagogue on a regular basis? Probably none of their bringing all the sick people out then. So they probably didn't have any. Isn't it amazing how people who never have done something are experts on how it should be done? They didn't have healing services, but he knows exactly how they ought to be run. And don't run them on, on the Sabbath. <laughs> and Jesus kind of put them in his place. And as we look at chapter 14, and he talks about people who exalt themselves, we're going to see in that chapter, Luke 13, the setting for this, in that the ruler of the synagogue exalted himself. He didn't look at Jesus as the Son of God. He didn't look at Him as Messiah. He didn't even look at Him as a good teacher. He saw Jesus doing something that he thought was should not be done in church. And he stood up and he exhorted people. Don't bring your sick out. I'm on the Sabbath. And Jesus humbled him. He called him a hypocrite. Right there. Humbled him. And then we're going to get into, after that setting, here in chapter 14. In verse 1, Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. So before in chapter 13, it's the ruler of the synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue. Here he goes into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, and they watched him closely. Now if you're watching somebody closely, is there not a reason for why you're watching them closely? You're trying to see them do something. You're trying to catch them in something. 
It may not always be a negative thing. Maybe you watch them closely because you're trying to see how they do it. They have success in doing it and you want to have success. So you watch them closely. If you've ever tried to work on your house on something and every time you try and do this particular thing, it doesn't work. So you bring somebody else in and you watch them closely so that you can see how they did it so the next time you can do it. That's what you, uh, that's what you need to do. There are some things that, uh, how many, you know, in working around the house, there are some things that you do that you don't like to do. One of the least things I like to do around the house is plumbing. I don't like plumbing. I had a buddy, he used to come here to church until they moved away. And um, he did plumbing, and he did electrical work, and he did stuff like that. And his idea was, um, uh, he, I think as he put it, he liked electrical work. Because electrical work was either right or it's not. That's, that was his opinion. He says, plumbing, there's all kinds of matter of right. <laughs> it can be mostly right, but just leak a little bit. <laughs> and that's a problem. <laughs> so he didn't like plumbing for that reason. I didn't like it for other reasons. But uh, we came into a point that we had to have something done in our house that was in the area of plumbing. And so this, he, he came on up and he helped me with it. And while he was doing it, I watched him closely to see how he did it. He was sweating. With it. It's called sweating in a line. How many know what I mean when I say sweating in a line? Yeah. I knew I would know. <laughs> he's, he's done it more times than not. Unless, I'm sure they all have done it. it you sweat in a line. It's when you have that copper, copper pipe and you got to heat it up with a torch and get the, uh, the, the, the stuff in there, solder, whatever. I, f- I forget what they call it now. I think it's just the solder. Yeah. All right. And you just get that stuff in there. And um, once you get it all in there, and then you cool it off, then you fire it up, and then you see if it works. And if it doesn't work, you got to take it all apart. There's no fixing it. you got to take it all apart. So I watched him closely, how he did it, so that the next time I didn't need to do it, I could just do it. And so the time came up, and I had to do it, and I was able to do so successfully. I was able to get that done. And then uh, once we moved into one of the houses that we had, and we had to move the sink from where it was to another place. And so we had a plumber who had to come in to do some stuff and we asked him how much is it going to cost to to move the sink from here. It was only about two or three feet. And he gave us the price. I remember the price because I didn't like the price. How many of you like prices the plumbers give you? I mean, not often do we like that. And it was $600 to move the sink from where it was three feet over. Now, I knew that he could get it done in a couple of hours and it'd be done right. But $600 is a lot of money. It takes me a lot longer to earn $600 than it does him to earn $600. And so I just figured, all right, I'll just, don't worry about that. I'll move the sink myself. <laughs> I've already sweated in a few lines. And so um, we set out to do that and we uh, saved ourselves $600. I lost half a day. On, on, the, on the deal. But half a day is a whole lot better than $600. So we were able to do that. But the only reason I was able to even offer or even think about it was because I watched them closely. What was going on. And how that would, uh, how that would be accomplished. But here they're watching them closely. And we can kind of pick up from this. They're not doing it for a positive reason. They're doing it for a negative reason. They're trying to catch him in something. And behold... There was a certain man before him who had dropsy. 
Now, we're not told who the person whose house this is. We're not told his what he is. All we're told is that he is one of the rulers of the Pharisees. We don't have his name. And he invited him over to come and eat bread on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. So it was okay to have guests over at your house on the Sabbath, but it's not okay to heal people on the Sabbath. And they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. Now, how does the man... who How many know what dropsy is? That's what I thought. I looked it up. <laughs> I, I looked it up. You, you know what it is? That's, we've got one person who knows what it is. So I looked it up because I wasn't exactly sure what, um, what this was. But I put it in your outline there for you. It is, uh, it'd be called today edema, which is uh, swelling of soft tissue due to the, the uh, water accumulating. Uh, congestive heart failure is one of, not the only, but one of the causes of this is what I'm, what I'm told. So what do they do for that now? They give people water pills? Is that what the idea is? Uh, okay. So that's one of the things I guess that you would, you would do. But they didn't have water pills back in these days and so he had, he had dropsy. So he's not lame or not able to get around. He's able to get around, but I guess sometimes it's, it's a little bit painful. But here it is on the Sabbath. There was a certain man before him who had dropsy. We know nothing else about this man except that he had dropsy. That's it. Whose house are we at? Ruler of the Pharisees. If you are having a dinner at your house, who comes? People that you invite. Exactly. How does the man with dropsy get in the dinner? He didn't just walk in, did he? How many of you have just have, how many of you are open to walk-ins when you have uh, when you have a dinner over? I mean, some people are. Some people are are up for walk-ins. Um, not everybody is, but I would say that the reason he's there is because he was invited. Now, if you're having discussions about healing on the Sabbath, you invite Jesus over for dinner on the Sabbath and then also invite a man who's sick to eat at the table on the Sabbath. What is your purpose? <laughs> we're going to see what happens. We're going to see if Jesus tries to heal this guy on the Sabbath. So we're watching him closely to see what Jesus does. So Jesus comes over to the dinner and apparently the motives are not not very good. Have you ever had it? You've been invited over to a dinner and the motives were not very good. Yeah. Uh, guys, think back, way back when you were in high school, maybe college, and think back to a time when you asked a young lady out to a date and you had gone on a couple of dates and then at one point the young lady says, will you come over to my house for dinner? <laughs> what kind of reception do you think that young man gets at the dinner table? Is it a, oh, we've been looking forward to meeting you, or is it a, uh-huh? <laughs> So when Jesus walks in here, he probably knows he's being set up. This is not the best atmosphere for having dinner, for, for coming over and for fellowshipping. But Jesus goes. 
It doesn't tell us in the Word of God that he knew about what was going on ahead of time. But if he did, he would have gone to help this person with the dropsy. This person with dropsy. I mean, do they, they don't even know anything's going on. Man, I got an invite to one of the rulers of the Pharisee's house. I didn't even know he knew I was alive. He invited me over for dinner. This is so cool. He's probably thinking all kinds of good things about this. And Jesus, and Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, what did he answer? What question was asked? We don't have the question, do we? But apparently he heard it going on inside of him. You've heard people ask questions they never said out loud, haven't you? Just like when you got when you showed over to that house for that young lady that you were dating. You heard the question, didn't you? What right do you have to date my daughter? You heard that question, didn't you? You felt like you were answering that question the whole time you were there. And Jesus answered, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So he put them on the spot. You want to put me on the spot? I'm going to put you on the spot. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. In other words, they didn't say it was lawful. They didn't want to say it wasn't lawful. They believed it was not lawful. Luke chapter 13 will show you that in other places as well. But they believed it was not lawful. But they did not believe it strongly enough to say it. But they kept silent. They took and he took him and healed him and let him go. So he left. Now, I don't know if he's, how much of the dinner had gone on. Maybe he waited until the end of the dinner. Maybe he was already full. Didn't want, maybe he doesn't like dessert. I don't know. But after he healed him, he let him go. And he answered them saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out of this, on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. They couldn't answer them. So, we have these people that were present. We don't know all the people that were present, but I imagine there are some other Pharisees that were present as well because these are the ones that are watching them. This man, this man with dropsy, of course, Jesus was there. If any of his disciples were there, they, a few of them may have, may have come along. But were they thankful that Jesus came to dinner? Are the, is the ruler of the Pharisees and the other Pharisees that came along, are they thankful that Jesus came to dinner? Are they saying, we invited Jesus to come to our house for dinner and he said yes. Do you get the idea that they're thankful that Jesus came to dinner? I don't think that they're thankful at all. Were they grateful for the opportunity to learn from the Master? No, they're trying to catch him in something. They're not trying to learn. There's a story I heard many, many years ago. Um, but I always, re- always remember. I know I've told it to you. And you ever have some of those stories that some stories teach you more than other stories do? And those are the ones you stay more, more mindful of? I remember this story. Uh, Brother Keith Moore is the one who shared it. It wasn't about him, but he shared the story. Uh, Brother Hagen used to have a prayer room that they would be in before the service. And um, every once in a while, he will invite somebody into the prayer room with him before the service. And this particular day, it took a little while before Brother Keith was invited to the prayer room, but after a while, he was invited to come into the prayer room and, and he would be there most times before the service was there. He was, he was there. But he remembered uh, there was a certain I- individual who had wanted to meet with Brother Hagen, 
And so Brother Hagen says, bring him in so, so much time before the service starts. I don't know how much time it was. You know, it may have been an hour, maybe whatever it was. He just said, bring him in so much time before the service starts. And so they brought this person in and this person sat down and began to talk with Brother Hagen. And for 30 minutes, he went on about the things God had done in his ministry. Telling Brother Hagen what had gone on. And Brother Keith, he, was, he, was, he still relates the story as he was kind of young. He said, but I knew better than this. I knew that if I had the audience of Brother Hagen for 30 minutes, I'd shut up. <laughs> this guy didn't shut up. He just kept on talking. He just kept telling them all the different things. And so after uh, it got to the closer to the end of time, he just said, well, that's about all the time I have. And then he, this man was, uh, was, was gone. He was taken out of the, the prayer room. Can you imagine that? Having all that time to sit with somebody who knows more than you do and all you do is tell them what you know. So I learned from that is to um, make sure that when I sit with people to get an opportunity to listen. Because if I spend all my time talking about what I know, I'll never find out what they know. And they may know something that I don't know. So I had to make sure that I listen to what other people have to say. That's important. Doesn't mean you don't say anything, but just always make sure you take time, some time to, to listen. Be grateful for the opportunities that you have to be around other people. So they weren't thankful and they weren't grateful because in their minds, in their minds, back, back in here, they're not vocalizing this thing at the dinner, but in their minds, they were exalted and Jesus was criticized. And this is a problem that a lot of people come into. We get to a thing in our, in our mind. I become exalted while others become criticized. Well, if they would only do it this way. See, I'm criticizing the people that are doing it and I'm exalting myself. How many times have you ever heard that inside your own? Don't raise your hand. But how many times have you ever heard that in your own head? If they would only do it this way. Well, you may have a way to do it, but there might be a better way. you got to listen for the better way. See, in their minds, they were exalted. They had exalted themselves. But Jesus, they criticized. I put this in your outline for you. Fill this in if you want. But we accept or fix what we love and appreciate. We accept or fix what we love or appreciate. Have you ever had an old car that you just love? Love an old car? Maybe a old chair. Just love that old chair. There might be newer ones that have more features, cup holders and vibrating things. And, you know, have you ever had that? You get a chair. Where I go get my haircut, they have this chair you sit in and it vibrates. I'm thinking, why in the world do people pay money for this? I think it's the most ridiculous thing in the, in the world. I actually tell them a couple of times, just turn it off. I just, I don't even know why you do that. You just leave it off. Sitting in a chair with a But some people like it. Somebody, go over to the mall. I see they got them all lined up there for a buck. You can sit in this chair and it'll vibrate. You know, give you a back massage or whatever it'll do. I don't know. I, I think it's useless to, to me. I don't, um, I don't have an appreciation for that. But if you have something in your house, something that you, you got and you like it, uh, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get spiritual on you. How many of you have an old Bible and you love that Bible? That Bible's starting to fall apart on you. And you've taken it to places to see if they could fix it. Why? 
Because you love that Bible. You appreciate that Bible. You see, the things that we love, the things that we appreciate, we try and fix them or we accept them the way they are. If you've got that car and it doesn't have air conditioning, but I love that car, you accept it. The things that we love and appreciate, we accept them or we fix them. But the rest we criticize and denounce. The things that we don't love and appreciate, we criticize and denounce. If you've got a car and it's not on your love and appreciate list, how many times have you found yourself saying some things about that car that were not all that good? Well, this pile of junk, I would just get rid of it. Right? Because <laughs> I don't love and appreciate that car. But you've seen some people. They got these old cars still driving around. Every once in a while, I still find an old Ford truck driving around on the, on the road. I look at that old Ford truck. I mean, we're talking really old. I look at that old Ford truck and it says, Dear God, I would not appreciate that car. I, there's no way I would appreciate that. I couldn't put any of the boards in it that I'd want to put in. It won't hold them. You couldn't even put a sheet of plywood in those things. They're too narrow. Just, just all, all messed up. I look at that and I appreciate my truck. Glory to God, I'm glad. glad I got a nice long bed on my truck and it's nice and it's it's a nice wide one. It's not one of those little little mini trucks. It's a it's a full size, regular truck. I can put stuff in it. And I like that. But you see some of those people that are going on down the road and they've got that old Ford truck. I don't even know what year they would be, but uh, they're driving on down. It's got the same old kind of color paint on it. Red or black or green. I think that's the only ones I've seen. Red, black, and green. I think, I think that's about it. And uh, just running, running real good. I'm sure they, they, you can tell they love and appreciate this because they're fixing it. They're keeping it up nice. It looks good out there on the road, but it just doesn't do nothing by comparison. I wonder how those guys get those things to work and, and to do the things they needed to do. But hey, they did. See, the rest we criticize and we denounce them. at this dinner along the course of this day there are those present who once loved and appreciated Jesus who now criticize and denounce him there are some at this dinner who love and appreciate him this day but will eventually come to criticize and denounce him how many people were at the foot of the cross or watched Jesus as he carried the cross through the streets who had been healed by Jesus? These people sought Jesus out, tried to find him to receive something that they needed. And they loved and appreciated him then, but they came to a place where they criticized and denounced him. How did they get that kind of an attitude? Well, they could have a selfish view. They could be looking at this. I'm providing dinner. I'm giving my home. I'm giving my time. Look at the things that I'm doing. But see, a selfless view is going to have Jesus has come over here and he's given us of his time. Wow. I just want to sow everything that I can into Jesus. Whatever I can give him. If I can give him a meal, I'm going to give him a meal. See, selfishness is not thankful. 
It's not thankful. Selfish motivation is no better than to be exposed publicly, though. You'll look at many people in the Word of God. They knew they had selfish motivations, but they won't expose them publicly. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, these were some of the people. They didn't expose all their views publicly. They knew better. We looked at Korah not too long ago. He knew better than to expose some of the things he felt publicly. They exist, or selfish motivations exist concealed by a more noble cause. We got a more noble cause. I I heard this. This was a couple of weeks ago. But how many you've ever heard? How many heard? Um, of course, you all know the uh, Bernie campaign. How many all about uh, Bernie? I, I forgot his last name. What's his last name? Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders campaign. I heard about heard about this before. But um, uh, he's been advocating. One of the things that he advocates is for a minimum wage to be raised to fifteen dollars an hour, and for everyone to have health care. Did anybody ever hear about this? And this is a couple of weeks old. I know probably most people have heard about this by now. But his own staff decided to revolt and they were going to not work anymore because they wanted what he was asking for the rest of the country. They weren't getting $15 an hour and they weren't getting health care. Can you imagine that? Going around the country telling everybody, y'all need to pay $15 an hour minimum wage and provide everybody health care and his own staff does not get $15 an hour. Didn't I don't even know if they've got overtime pay. And we're, we're not getting health care. Now, I'm not trying to comment on whether it's right or wrong, whether you should do that or not. I certainly have my opinions. I'm trying to keep that out of it. I'm just saying, isn't this kind of odd that you're going to go around the country saying this is what we ought to do, but I'm not doing it. And that's not the only, it's the only instance where we see that sort of stuff going on. See, I know this really doesn't work, but I'm going to push it on off, off on everybody else. That's not what we need to do. Let's finish this this out here. So, so he told a parable to those who were invited. Invited to what? The dinner. So he told a parable to those who were invited. And he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the best places, lest one more honorable than you be invited by them. And he who invited you come and say to you, give place to this man and then you begin with shame to take the lowest places. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Trying to put this into a modern day thing that we can understand this. If you had a wedding and you showed up for the wedding, most people show up for the weddings early. You don't want to be walking down the aisle when the bride is. You, know, you show up at the wedding, you get there early, you get yourself, you find yourself a seat. Now, most times we have people that are ushering you to a seat. You say, I want to be on the bride's side, I want to be on the groom's side, and they usher you to a, a place, and they sit you down there, and then everything is good. But I guess they didn't have ushers putting people in seats, and so they would come on in, and they would look at all the seats and say, oh, I want to sit there, up by the front. And so... They'd come over here and they would sit near the front row. And as people are beginning to come on in, come on in, then all the relatives who are involved in pictures out back. They all come in and they have to find room for all the relatives. And so they come and they find you sitting there where the relatives are expecting to sit. So what do they do? Um, I need you to move because you are in the relative seats. 
And so then you have to get up. But by this time, most buddy everybody is here. So what do you got to do? You got to do that little shameful walk, getting up. You got to be escorted to the back of the church and sit back over there. Jesus is saying this. Don't go after those seats. Go after a lesser seat. Now, Jesus is not against you exalting people or you being exalted. He's not against that. He's against you doing it for yourself. That's what he's against. Because he says even in this example, if, if someone finds you in a seat you're not supposed to be in and they have to move you to the back, then that doesn't, that doesn't go so well. But he says, but when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. If he doesn't want you to have that kind of glory, he wouldn't tell you how to get it. Right? So he's saying this, go out there, sit in one of the humble spots. And the guy comes in and says, wait, what are you doing sitting back here? No, 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 no. You need to come on up over here. This is where you need to be. Now, I've had that happen, uh, not often, but a couple of times I've gone to an event that somebody from church or or place has invited me to. And um, I don't really think about it a whole lot, but I just look for some place in the back that's empty, that has enough for whoever it is we're sitting with. Or if other people from church are going, I find them and I sit with them. And we sit on down there. I remember one time I was at one of these events and... uh, uh, the people that invited me to come on out, they saw me sitting back there in the back and they came back and said, oh, no, no, we have a place up from the front with, for you. Oh, all right. And so they escorted me out of the seat I was in to go to the front. Now, I didn't feel exalted. I felt embarrassed. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> Some people feel exalted. Oh, look, you got the, got the better seat. I'm just kind of like, oh man, <laughs> I'm fine just right back. This is good. I can see. This is all right. <laughs> Let somebody else. I just, I just kind of rather do something like that. But if Jesus didn't want you to be exalted, he wouldn't tell you how to be. What he's saying is don't exalt yourself. In the story we just had with the Pharisees, they have exalted themselves as a place of authority over Jesus. No one exalted them there. They did it. And so he has to humble them and bring them, bring them down. Verse 11 says, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you have a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and blind. And you will be blessed because you cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, you may not have ever thought about this when you read this. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. But let me clue you in on something. When they invited people to this, this dinner with Jesus, who did they invite? Other Pharisees? Other religious people? Except for one guy. The guy with dropsy. But Jesus, they invited him not because let's do something for someone who can't do anything back. They invited him 
We need a trap. Let's get this guy. They weren't trying to elevate him. They weren't trying to do something nice for him. Jesus says, look, when you go out there and you have a dinner like this, don't go out and invite your best Pharisee buddies. Don't go out there and invite all your relatives. Go out there and find some people that you know will never be able to pay you back. A blind person on the side of the road who's just trying to get some money for the day. Invite them out. Do some good to people who cannot pay you back. That's what he's teaching them to do. This whole thing was set up to exalt them and to bring honor to these people. He says, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. I'm sorry, he's trying to get get on Jesus' good side. Well, blessed is he who's going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. Sounds spiritual. You ever heard somebody who just tried to say something spiritual? In a spiritual setting? They kind of look good. Jesus doesn't really comment about that. He says, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the, here the poor and the maimed and lame and blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Well, we had the invitation, we had the excuses. The first guy, his great possessions demanded all his focus. I have bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. I ask that you have me excused. How many of you have ever bought a piece of ground and have not seen it? Isn't that kind of the first thing that you want to do? You want to go out there, you want to see? Well, I don't know if I want that property. Let me go see it. So you go on out there and you, you take a look at it. Check it out before you buy it. More than likely, this guy has already seen it. Well, the second guy, the first guy, he's more concerned with his investments, his money, more so than his spirit. Second guy says, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask that you have me excused. Well, his occupational demands all his attention. Have you ever had it that your occupation demanded all your attention and you didn't have time to give to God and God's things? First guy, his possessions had his focus. Second guy, his occupation had his attention. The host, you got no claim to my time. I've got things I got to do. They plan for things that have to happen at work, plan for things that have to happen for my occupation, but not for spiritual priorities. The third one said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, I imagine he just married a wife. I would imagine that's what it is. 
but his domestic cares. They demand all his free time. He didn't have time to go to any feast. See, sometimes marriage, family obligations, they can keep us from fellowship with God, fellowship with the saints. Now, you're going to have some of those and, and you need to give some time to your family. You're responsible to put God into them. Make sure that you have some time for that. You can't just sacrifice your family to go out there and be all the things you want to be for God. But Jesus has given this in such a way that uh, more than likely it was something that was preventable. So here's the, here's the deal. The invitation goes out. Everybody's got the invitation. When you have a wedding feast, we're, we're inviting you ahead of time. And we're saying, here, here's the date. Maybe it's a month down the road. Maybe it's two months down the road. Maybe it's six, whatever it is. Let's just say it's two months down the road. You've got two months. Here it is. We're going we're gonna to have this wedding feast in two months. We want you to, uh, to, to save the date. And of course, when they have a wedding feast, it didn't just go on for an hour. It went on for a long time. We want you to save the date. I want you to come on out. I want you to be part of this. You're important to me. I want you to, to be out here. This is an important event for me. I want you to come on out. And I want you to be here for it. And so, every person who got the invitation, they probably said something very good. We'll be there. Probably gave some kind of a positive result. He expected these folks to be there. Now, this dinner wasn't an event. But it was not an exalted event, so it was easy for other things to be exalted over it. It was an exalted event for the master, for the person putting this thing on. It was an exalted event for him, but it was not an exalted event for others. Now, surely you can relate to this. Some people have something going on, and to them, this is extremely important. And they invite you to come, but it's not important to you. Somebody comes up to you and they says, my eight-year-old son is involved in a play. Will you come? Now, what's your, what's your expectation for an eight-year-old school play? It's not up here. It's probably down, down there somewhere. Oh, that'll be nice. And we're, no, we're, we're not going. We're not going to see Harrison Ford Jr. We're not going to see this kind of a... But, you know, but for the parents, for the family... That event is really high. But if you don't have that connection, then it may not pull you in the same way that it would someone else. This is what we're seeing here. This event is very important to the one giving the feast. But it's not so important to the other people. So that they're not even mindful of it. They're not even thinking of that kind of a, that kind of a thing. You know, my daughter announced to us that our, our granddaughter was graduating from kitten, kindergarten. You can, you can imagine the kind of response that we had. On our calendar is blocked off. Three days before, five days afterwards. Nothing comes near this event. Just stay away. As somebody began to say, can you do something on this? No! It's right there. Stay away. Yeah, but I have a really... I don't care. Well, can you come over the day before? No, you might make me tired. <laughs> I mean, you just kind of block it all off. This isn't, this is important. These folks didn't block anything off because it wasn't important to them. 
It was a nice event to be going to. I was glad for the honor of being there. But these other things are more important. And so, when we have property that we bought, well, you know, I'm supposed to go to this thing. People always do that too. Whenever you're going to something that's not important, I have this thing. It's not important, so we don't give it a name. It's a thing. Well, I had this thing. I was, but I can, I can, I can not go there. I'll come to check out the property instead. Or occupation calls, possessions call, domestic things, whatever it is that calls. Well, we just, I can, I can put this in here. And sometimes we just say, well, I have this feet, but I can, I can fit this in right here. And then all of a sudden we fit that in right there and it gets bigger. And we're not able to fit it in. See, the dinner was an event to this people, to the people that were invited. But it was not an exalted event. So other things were easily exalted over it. But when you go to the poor, the lame, the blind, and you say, will you come to this, to them, that is an exalted event and nothing will get in the way. And that's what Jesus was looking for. Now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that's kind of harsh. We just had all this stuff. All the, he gave the story of all these people who had all these reasons why they could not come to the feast. All these reasons. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We talked about that, bearing the cross. A lot of people have a wrong idea about it. We're not going to get into all that right now. Let's just see what the the rest of it is he has to say. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Well, if you're going to go outside and you're going to build a deck, you're going to build an addition onto your house, don't you calculate out how much this is going to cost? You get some estimates in. You find out it's going to cost this much. Do I have enough to, to, to make this work? Because you don't want to get halfway done. Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way away, he sends a delegation and has conditions of peace. There are three things here in this passage, this, this last passage. Three things about the forsaken excuses. First off, there are things that you are going to have to give up in order to not be giving up, giving excuses. There are some things you'll have to give up. Secondly, you're going to have to add up the cost of what's involved. Otherwise, you're going to be making excuses like these guys did. And here's the third one, verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. You have to first off give up, then you're going to have to add up, and here's the next one, pay up. There's going to be a calling upon you to pay up for what it is that God wants you to do. He's saying right here, you got to forsake all. It doesn't mean you have to sell everything you got. I've just got to have my attitude to it. God, if you need me to do something, 
I won't let these things hold me back. Make sure it's God telling you. Just know that Satan likes to get people overly involved in things and, and distract them from what's important. Verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Nothing worse than salt that has no salt flavor. Could you imagine having the French fries, shaking the salt on the French fries, and there's no flavor to it. Now, I don't do French fries a whole lot. I think French fries are a waste of potatoes. I know most people don't think that. I'll eat them every now and then. But most of the time, I think that French fries are a waste of potatoes. There's much better things to do with potatoes than make French fries. But I, I realize I'm in the minority there. I do realize that. But if I go and get some French fries, say that I went on down over here to the Wendy's, and, uh, and that, this has happened a few times, and I've ordered the French fries, and I get the French fries, and I, I taste the French fries, and there's no salt on the French fries. These salts are, these, these French fries are useless. They are useless. I mean, without salt, what good is a French fry without salt? There's no good at all. So, Every time I've gone to a place and the few times I get french fries, you know what I always make sure I put in the bag? I try to make sure I put in the bag? Salt. Because if they didn't put enough salt in it when they made them, I want to make sure I can put some salt on it when I, when I have them right there. Because uh, if you're going to eat, the few times you eat french fries, I want them hot. Cold french fries are the worst thing in the world. And you cannot heat french fries up. Maybe you can and like them. I cannot. I barely like them when they're hot, when they're heated up, they are they're not even good for fertilizer. They're terrible. <laughs> Don't even try and bury them with the plants. and They're, they're, they're just absolutely wretched. So I want to make sure that I have some salt. But can you imagine taking that salt and sprinkling it on and then taking a bite out of the french fry and it doesn't even taste like there's any salt. When you put salt on food, how many of y'all want to taste the salt? I, there's very few foods I put salt on. I'm sure you cook with the salt. Very few foods I put salt on. But the ones I put salt on, I want to taste it. I want. There better be some salt that I can taste on that sucker. You get those smashed potatoes. That's a good use of potatoes. Take the potatoes, boil them in water, smash them on the plate, smother them with butter. Drown them in butter. And then take some salt. You better put some salt on there. I want to taste some salt when I get those things. And I put that salt on there. And if I taste it and I don't taste salt, I'm getting more salt. Don't tell me how unhealthy or healthy it is. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) When I have my smashed potatoes, they're going to have butter and they're going to have salt. And if you don't like it, you don't have to eat them. I'll eat them all. That's a good use of potatoes. But if the salt has lost its flavor, what good is it? That's what he's saying. You have got to have flavor. All this stuff that he's been teaching you here is your flavor. And some people have the wrong flavor. We've got the wrong flavor. Salt is good, but if it's lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? I'm going to give you three things here. Keep your flavor. First off, be thankful and grateful. You've heard that many and many times. Be thankful and grateful. If you stop being thankful and grateful, you will lose your flavor. You lose your flavor. People don't want to be around you. They want to throw you out. Be thankful and grateful. Secondly, treasure what God treasures. Treasure what God treasures. Sorry, I made that a small g. I don't know why in the world that is a small g. 
Mess that one up typing it in. That's a big G. <laughs> treasure what God treasures. If God treasures it, treasures it, you treasure it. If God says, I really want you to be at this feast and it's important to him, it is now important to you. You treasure it. If you want to have that flavor, be thankful and grateful and treasure what God treasures. Third, do what is important to God first. There are things that are important to you and there will be time to get those things done. God doesn't say you can't do anything that's important to you, but do what is important to God first. This is all about your flavor. And when you walk into a place, how many know that there are some people that you enjoy being around? And there are some people you don't. And it's simply this. It's the flavor. It's the flavor. Some people, we just don't like their flavor. Now when you're looking at treasure, what God treasures, I put in parentheses in my outline. I don't know if I did it on yours. Think. That's kind of the stuff that you think. So be, think, and do like God and have His heart. You've got to have the heart of God. When you have the heart of God, you will have a flavor that will not fade. But if God is not exalted above all, I will find myself at some point like those who rejected the invitation. Because at some point, other things are going to be elevated over God. So much so that when He gives me an invitation to the wedding feast, what wedding feast do you think He's given an invitation to? Wedding feast of the Lamb. You better be there for that one. That's important. That's a huge honor to be there for that one. Don't let other things come up and be important. But there's a whole lot of people in this world who have an invitation to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And I've had other things come up. Occupation has come up and God has been put to the side. Possessions have come up and God has been put to the side. Family obligations have come up and God has been put to the side. Again, you can have these. These things are not bad to have. But if they push God and what's important to God to the side, then it's a problem. Now what people do around you, what people do to you, will try and have an impact on these three things. On what you are being, what you are thinking, what you are doing. They will try. But you've got to stand and guard against it. You see, these people have received the invitation. Other people came to them and said, Hey, what about buying this this property? Hey, what about taking on these oxen? Hey, how about we get married on this day? Other people came and they presented things to them. They had to receive them in. They didn't stand on guard. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me see what's going on. I've got this going on. I cannot let anything affect that. I've got to be there. That's important. And they stand guard against it. In my life, I can exalt myself. I can exalt things. I can exalt animals. I can exalt other people. But if God is not exalted more than all, I'm going to find myself just like these people. The Word of God tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. I try and always give you some modern, some, some examples in your own life to where you can figure out whether this thing is working. If you want to find out what side are you on, am I on the side of the rulers of the Pharisees who invited Jesus over for the purpose 
of condemning him? Or am I on the side of the people who would invite Jesus over and were so grateful that he came and just wanted to sit and listen to what was going on? Are we going to be like the Marys who when Jesus came to their house, she sat at his feet and listened to what he was teaching and Martha's in the kitchen busy about other things? If I am always yelling at others, correcting in a harsh manner or speaking down to other people, these are signs that I am exalted. Those are the signs that I am exalted. Humility listens. Pride yells. Humility listens. Pride yells. Look around the relationship you have with the people at work. The people in your family. The people in your neighborhood. If you're always criticizing everybody around you, if you're always yelling at people, if you're always correcting in a harsh tone, speaking down to other people, you have exalted yourself. You are in a place of being exalted and no one can can exalt you. And if you have exalted yourself, eventually someone is going to come and humble you and make you take a seat on the back row. That's what Jesus is teaching you. But he says, don't do that. When you go in, take a humble seat. Don't be saying, I'm, I'm more worthy of this seat up there. Don't be doing that. When you have the opportunity to yell or to be correcting in a harsh manner, don't do it. You see, I'm exalted myself over them. Sometimes we need to just sit back and to, and to listen. I get into a discussion every once in a while. Stephen Covey's book, how many have ever read Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People? I recommend it all the time that I can to, to people. The seven habits are wonderful to, uh, to do. One of the habits he put in there is seek first to understand than to be understood. If you ever read that book, he's got scripture all through it. It's a business book. Scripture's all through the thing. And um, seek first to understand than to be understood. See, most people enter into a conversation and they want people to understand what they're saying because they have exalted themselves. But if you come into a conversation and are humble, you first off try to understand what are they saying? Where are they at? And what does God want me to say to them? Those are things that are important for you to find out. Less people are faithful than think they are faithful. And less people are humble than think they are humble. We have a problem and it's not just one that we've had of recent times. This has gone on for centuries. People are exalted in their own eyes. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you get yourself exalted in your own eyes, it will not be too long until you can be one of the ones that Jesus spoke about in this parable. Who says, you know what? 
I understand that the wedding feast is coming up, but I am a little busy right now. I don't have time for you. We can get to a place where we don't have time for our God. Don't let that happen. The, the enemy knows. He knows the pattern. He knows all I have to do is get you to exalt yourself. Put yourself in a place that you shouldn't be just yet. And the rest of the things will take care of themselves. And you will eventually be brought down. Don't fall into the Satan's, Satan's plan. If you didn't read the quote in the bulletin, before you go home, make sure you read it. It's right along these lines. Try and find quotes when I can to go along these things. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you have given us the pathway not just to be humble, but a pathway for true exaltation. You're not against us being exalted. You're against, against us exalting ourselves. For Jesus himself was exalted high above all, seated at the right hand of the Father. Talk about exaltation. But he did not exalt himself. He put himself in a position to be exalted. He took the most humble place that he could take on the cross for our sins. He went to hell paid our penalty. And God saw him in the lowest seats and said, friend, come up here. And he was taken up to the front and one who had tried to sit in the place of Jesus was moved. Satan tried to take Jesus' place but he was moved out of the way by one who was humble, not one who exalted himself. Satan exalted himself and was moved. And Father, we don't want to follow after his pattern, after his way. I thank you, Father, for the things that you teach us in this parable through the life of Jesus. That if we're going to be faithful to the things of God, and those things must be important to us and more so than anything else that would come our way. We've got to learn how to block off this is important to God, so this is important to me. And we will be faithful because we won't let anything else come in. I thank you for it. I give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sister Marguerite. Good morning, everyone. Uh, here in uh, in attendance here, and all of those who are watching by way of the internet, just want to say uh, a good morning to you, and so grateful that we're all gathered here today. Um, I came in this morning and I, I wasn't feeling that great. Um, and we, we went back and we were having prayer in the back. 
And I, I was going to mention it to everyone, but as we started to pray, God was able to minister to, to me and um, my body. And I'm so grateful, first of all, that I have my team, uh, that we worship together, and that we, we sense things in the spirit that many times if we don't mention it, God is so gracious. And by the time I came out of that praise and worship, I was feeling just fine. So I'm so thankful that these things that we're learning here at Zoe Christian Fellowship, they're real. And um, as we are able to just uh, avail ourselves of them, God just does a wonderful work. So um, I trust that all of you will go back and just listen to the message that we've heard today because... Um, I know for me that it is really, uh, each message every Sunday is, is very important, but we just go back and listen so that we can be aware of the things that we need to do so that God can um, just bless us more. But he has certain things that he needs us to do. And then as we do those things, he's able to just uh, shower us with his anointing and his blessings, and we're so grateful. Uh, we have a praise report here from Ento. Um, she's thanking God for a wonderful time that we had here with our dear scholars, um, Praise and Ara. And we so enjoyed having them with us. They, uh, they came back from school for vacation this summer. And we're also thanking God for Ara's safe return back to Ohio. She sends her love and greetings to all. And um, we send praise off with our prayers and our blessings. We've so enjoyed her here um, with us, and we just thank God for when she will return to us. Uh, there are many things in the bulletin that you will want to uh, look into. We, I saw that we're also having um, a second picnic for those of you who may have missed it. Um, it's going to be September 1st, so um, just read in the bulletin. We have just really great things that are going on and just this week think of think of the things that god wants to do for us we find that in his word and then the things that we need to do we can't just sit back and do nothing but god has um has scripted these things that we need to do in our lives and he wants to give us more so as you go today have a wonderful wonderful day and go in the blessings of god thank you